an 8th century prophet from northern Israel. Hosea was a contemporary of the prophet Amos, he whose prophetic work we considered together last week. Now Hosea, like Amos, was also deeply troubled by the corruption and by the injustice that he saw in Israel. But Hosea, rather than turn his eye toward a particular issue like economic exploitation, as had Amos, instead Hosea turned his eye toward the more general faithlessness that he saw in the Israelite people as a whole. You see, for Hosea, what was most wrong in Israel, that is to say, what was underwriting all of the other corruptions that were taking place, was how broken the relationships were among the people and how broken the relationship was between the Israelite people and creation itself and most inexcusably of all to Hosea, how broken the relationship was between the Israelite people and God. Now in saying that, let me remind you of what I said last week. According to the Jewish imagination, God, in the beginning, had created all things and had deemed them very good. And what was very good about the original state of creation was its harmony, its interconnected character, its sense of uninterrupted flow. What was very good about creation was that flourishing state of things that the Hebrew people referred to as shalom. And so sin then, in the Jewish imagination, was not simply a misdeed, was not just something bad, but far more significantly still, sin was a direct violation of shalom an intentional disruption of how things are supposed to be. Amos, in his prophetic work, pointed out that financially exploiting the poor is a gross violation of shalom and how things should be. But Hosea, for his part, agreeing with Amos, says in effect, yes, but it's a whole lot bigger even than that. For we are unfaithful people, all of us, he says, not taking care of one another, not taking care of the world in which we live, not honoring God by trying to make things on earth slightly better. There is no faithfulness or loyalty, Hosea thunders. People swear and they lie and they murder, he points out. And they steal and they're promiscuous and they deal violently with one another. And therefore, he concludes, the land mourns and the people in it languish. In other words, in the face of such abhorrent realities, in a situation so starkly sundered from shalom, not only do the people languish, but even the land cries out in despair. Leading me forward now some 800 years in time. 
In today's gospel lesson from Luke chapter 22, Jesus will soon be betrayed, and knowing this, he's beginning to prepare his disciples for what is about to come. And Peter, the disciple who professes to love Jesus the most, re-pledges his allegiance to Jesus by saying, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and even unto death. But as we all know, when the moment comes, Peter does just the opposite. When the moment comes, Peter turns his back and he runs away. And thus, Peter, in a very real sense, is the very model of faithlessness. But, having said that, and having deliberately identified Peter's faithlessness, I don't bring up this passage today in order to castigate Peter, nor do I bring up this passage today in order to point out that we are all at various times in our lives like Peter, which we are. Instead, I bring up this passage today in order to point out what Jesus says to Peter just before Jesus assures Peter that, yes, he, Peter, will indeed betray him. Here, just before this, Jesus says to Peter, and I quote, I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail and that you, when once you have turned back, will strengthen your brothers. Oh, dear family, there is such a wealth of spiritual comfort and wisdom in this line. I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And that when once you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers and your sisters. You see, we glean from this line that there is all the difference in the world between our faith momentarily failing and our becoming truly faithless people. Do you follow that? What we see in Peter's betrayal, in Peter's moment of failing faith, is not the same thing as that which we see Hosea 800 years earlier railing against. Now, do not misunderstand for a moment. Hosea would not have excused Peter's act of betrayal or pretended like it was any less grave of a sin than it was. But what Hosea was principally criticizing was not momentary failures of faithfulness, but was instead an entirely faithless disposition. In fact, what Hosea was ultimately trying to do was wake Israel up And get them to cease being faithless people and to return to being people whose faithfulness, like all of ours, sometimes simply fails. And there is a difference. And here's what that difference amounts to. For those of us who realize that despite our best efforts, we will inevitably sin and fall short. 
For those of us who realize that we can't be perfect and that no matter what, we will sin against God and against one another and against the creation in which we live. Yes, for those of us who realize this, but who nonetheless set our faces and our hearts toward trying to be people of greater and greater faithfulness, we then can be like those who, like Peter, when once we've turned back, Jesus can use to strengthen the faithfulness even of those around us. And oh, dear family, take a look around us right now. Do we not need such strengthening? Seriously, take a look around us. Is not the land still mourning? And are not the people languishing still? Hosea, as you'll recall, cites six ways that faithlessness was violating shalom, the way things should be in ancient Israel. And when we look around, all six of these are even more pronounced today than ever they were in the days of Hosea. People make a mockery of honor and justice and truth by signing documents or by taking vows or by swearing things on oath that they don't mean at all or that they don't intend to follow. People lie about things as small as what they've been up to and where they've been and about things as large as why to go to war and how to fleece profits out of what are really deficits. Meanwhile, between mass shootings and gang-related killings and domestic homicides, there's far more murder in our day than in Hosea's. Just as the level of theft, not least the kind of corporate theft that goes by a more sanguine name, is far greater in our day than ever it was back then. And as for promiscuity and general violence, well, in a culture that celebrates the pornographic and that champions things like sex work and that glories in things like blood sports and the stockpiling of semi-automatic weapons, in such a culture, we are far more given to promiscuity and to general violence than ever they were when Hosea was around. Yes, on account of these things and so many more besides, the land today still most definitely mourns. And still we, the people, languish. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. So says Hosea, prodding the people to wake up and to recognize the extent of their faithlessness. Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled, he says, because of your iniquity. Well, 2,800 years later, we too have stumbled because of our iniquity. And we too would do well to return to the Lord our God. And such a thing is possible, you know. I mean, Peter did it. 
After himself stumbling in iniquity, Peter returned to the Lord his God. And what's more, just as Jesus had encouraged him to do, Peter, upon returning to the Lord his God, then took it upon himself to try to strengthen others to do the same. He ultimately went to his own death on that account. Yes, the ancient call of the prophet Hosea is something aptly modeled for us by the apostle Peter, which is that we are, like Peter before us, called to recognize our faithlessness and our transgressions. Which is that we are then to return to the Lord our God. And which is that we are then through our confession of both the sin within and through identifying and advocating against the sin without. We are able to begin strengthening others to, along with us, try to bring about greater shalom in the land. One day, the Hebrew prophets believed all would be fully and finally restored. And this, they believed, would happen via a grand work of God, with God's glory overwhelming the present creation, and from the inside out and from the outside in, making all things new. This all the Hebrew prophets believed in, and this all the Hebrew prophets cast poetic visions about. And that said, in anticipation of that glorious final act, they also believed that we must endeavor to act now as if things are already as they will be then. When shalom shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. For I will heal their disloyalty, Hosea channels God is saying at the end of his prophecy. And they shall once more blossom like the lily. They shall again live beneath my shadow and they shall again flourish as a garden. In other words, shalom, he is saying, will once more fill creation. Things will once more finally be as they are supposed to be. All these years later, though the land still mourns and the people in it still languish, that day is indeed coming, dear family, soon and very soon. It is coming. And so trusting that, let us whose faithfulness so often fails now, let us not be faithless People. Instead, let us turn back to the Lord our God and let us turn back to the active work of faithfully repairing shalom in this world. And in so doing, let us, like Peter before us, likewise begin to strengthen our brothers and our sisters so that they might join us in this divine, holy work of shalom's restoration too. And all God's people said, Amen.